0: Welcome to the Last Wicket Podcast. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in to another episode. This week, my co-host, Mike, had an opportunity to chat with freelance journalist Cameron Ponsonby, who is a frequent contributor to ESPN Cricket Info and Cricklist. Recently, he was part of the backroom staff with the Washington Freedoms in the inaugural edition of Major League Cricket here in the U.S. In fact, that is a reason he was on the pod. Both Cameron and Mike talked about his role with the freedoms, his impressions on how the tournament was organized, the quality of homegrown talent, the crowds for the games, and what the future holds for the MLC. Now unfortunately, I was not able to join the two for this conversation, but I had some first-hand experience of watching an MLC game live from the stadium in Morrisville, North Carolina. Well stadium might be a bit generous, it was a nice cricket ground for sure. Anyway, I had a mostly positive experience as a fan. I decided to attend a Texas Super Kings game in Morrisville for two reasons. One, being a Chennai Super Kings fan, it was only logical to support a team from the same franchise family, and two, the ground was only a few hours drive from my home. So, I invited my father-in-law and we both went to watch the game between TSK and the San Francisco Unicorns. Now the game itself. Texas won a last over thriller, thanks to some late hitting from Daniel Sams, Millen Kumar, and Calvin Savage. But I want to talk more about the fan experience. You know, for a Monday evening game under Scorching Heat, it was pretty impressive that the game was sold out. And boy oh boy was it hot. We got there an hour early, and I seriously envy the people who purchased VIP seats for $200 as they got to sit under a canopy. The rest of us common folks had to sit in the uncovered bleachers and pray for some cloud cover. Thankfully, our section of the stands did get that an hour into the game, but the other sections weren't so lucky. So I think that is definitely something for the organizers to look into for next year. Now as the game got going, I was able to appreciate a lot of things that the organizers got right. There was a variety of food trucks to choose from, with lots of refreshments ranging from ice cream to ice cold sodas. There were lots of fan merchandise being sold, including hats and flags. In fact, the ground resembled a CSK game in the IPL, with all the yellow flags waving about. I also saw a few Americans on the ground, who were mostly accompanied by someone who seemed to be explaining what was happening in the game. I mean, my father-in-law was one. He is a through and through American, having served in the US Army for four decades, and his only knowledge of cricket is from me talking incessantly about it at family gatherings. So it was great fun taking him along, and he had a great experience watching the game and gaining a lot more knowledge about the sport from up close. So we we even got to feature in the match highlights package for a grand total of two seconds, which is pretty impressive. So I just want to say, as a long time cricket fan, watching a game in the US, I felt that we got our money's worth. You know, I got to see a close match involving some of my favorite players, the crowd experience was fantastic for a league that is in its infancy, and I left home thinking, man, it would be awesome if there were more games and more teams in the coming years. And I think in that respect, the MLC achieved getting people invested in what the league holds for the future. Now we can talk all day long about expanding the game here, getting more US-born players featured improving the quality of the league, and so on, but it all needs to start with fans giving a care. So kudos to MLC for a solid start. I was uh, initially cynical when this was announced, thinking, uh, here we go again, another T20 league that will be forgotten in a couple of years. But I can say now that I'm on board. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a lot that can be improved, tweaked, and expanded on, but this is a good beginning. For the first time in a long time, I'm optimistic about cricket's future in the United States. Anyway, for a more knowledgeable and insightful look at Major League Cricket's first season, here is Mike's Conversation with Cameron Ponsonby.
1: Cameron, thank you so much for joining us. Excited to get your perspective uh, on Major League Cricket and everything um, that you saw in the US. Uh firstly let's start with you uh, and your career. Um so I know you're you do freelancing, you work for uh you write for Crick Info, Crick Quiz as well. Um uh, uh but tell us about your role, what uh, you've done in the last few years, and then how did you end up in the MLC?
2: Yeah, so I so I'm a freelance cricket journalist. Uh, I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Uh, I've been lucky enough I've got to go out uh, to the last three England test tours. Um, so it was out west indies last year was my first one and then it's pakistan and new zealand after that which was great and kind of two very different styles of cricket on a show um i saw the last tour of joe roots captaincy and then the first couple of uh the old basketball era um and so yeah through through kind of freelancing that means you often are doing lots of different jobs so i kind of do some social media work for other people and one of the pe- one of the companies i did a, a like a day a week for uh, started working with washington freedom and they needed someone to go out to texas for a month and i was uh, i was very happy uh, to do that um, and it was great it was a great experience it was really interesting seeing how um yeah how cricket this like kind of the state of cricket in the us and i, I must admit i i i went out hoping for a holiday and had to work much harder than i i anticipated but um what can you do and um, no, it's amazing to come back and hopefully, you never know, get to go out again and see how cricket evolves in the country.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Let's uh, so let's get into it. Uh, so you've obviously seen the 100 uh, pretty close up. Of course, a number of other uh, T20, T10 even tournaments have popped up in the last few years. How do you uh, compare those to the MLC and what you saw, everything from an organization perspective as well as just the build up and hype?
2: Yeah, so... I think the thing I'd say about America and why I was probably, and I think a lot of fans probably grouped the MLC in the same bracket as all these other, like a, a number of other kind of startup T20 competitions is kind of like, where is the kind of grounding here? What what purpose does this tournament serve? And I think that's fair. And I kind of, I went into it all being a little bit cynical, perhaps of thinking this was just kind of a, another kind of IPL expansion, lots of money being paid. What's actually the point? Uh, and then I think what I kind of increasingly understood was there's a huge fan base of cricket in America. It's just a very diluted fan base. So you've got 350 million people in the country and you've got big South Asian communities, English communities, uh, West Indian communities. So there's an appetite for the game there. So I, I'm pretty sure um, like Cricket Five, for instance, their top three readerships go India, UK, USA. And I think a lot of broadcast deals there most where. The countries that watch it most go India, UK, USA. So there is an appetite for the game there. Um, and what was interesting to, to me as far as I my take was they have enough money now to look after the short term and get players there to play. And they have enough growing interest and a growing grassroots game to look after the long term. What will be difficult for them is to manage that short to medium term of like, how do we pad this out so we can maintain quality, keep people interested until we are able to stand on our own two feet as um, a cricketing nation. And there was a great line. Um, We went out to a local youth competition called the Dallas Youth Premier League and the kind of league director was there and he had this great kind of soundbite where he said, players used to, sorry, parents used to come to me and say, what's the future of cricket in America? Uh, now no one's asking and he's kind of the idea that he's kind of seeing in front of him they've got like 50 it's it's one of those it's it's a double-edged sword they'll say this is fantastic we have 1500 juniors uh, from under 11s to under 19s in the dallas area and that's both excellent but it's also like really not that many on the, on the other hand as well like if you think in terms of grand if you to creating a, a kind of national quality team. But overall, I think my overall take is enough cash to look after a short term, growing game, it will be looked after long term and growing like predominantly South Asian populations who want to play the sport and they are there wanting to play the sport.
1: No, I think I think that's a really fair uh, way to put it. it even um that was talking to Peter della Pena some time back and he mentioned even the twenty fifteen Cricket World Cup, for example Uh, The country that spent the most on tickets and merchandise was actually the U.S. So there definitely is a demand um, here for sure. Uh, What is interesting is to translate these followings, whether it's for their Caribbean teams, whether it's for the South Asian, uh, you know, their host nations, uh, their uh, native countries to divert that to to American cricket. So um, definitely an interesting challenge and it'll be an interesting few years to see how that pans out. And, and to your point, it's it's really important to grow it at the grassroots level grassroot level, so so that, so that it expands past, you know, expats essentially and their, their communities. So one of the things I noticed, um, which, you know, disappointed me a little bit was in the first MLC uh, tournament, we had in, among the top 10, um, five top five run scorers, top five wicket takers. There were only two people who were either uh, eligible or already playing for the U.S., pretty much everybody else was you know, a star from New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. Um, So just to make sure we we give them more opportunities, obviously one of the things that we're thinking that have been discussed is expanding to more teams, but also having some sort of limit on number of foreign players in the 11, and then potentially, depending on what talent they find, having one under 21 player in the 11 at all times. Um, what What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how that progresses, because the ICC have have, have made a proposal of limiting um, T20 teams to having a maximum of four overseas players per 11. At the moment, MLC is at six. Um, But the the kind of key word in that kind of uh, proposal is in a reasonable time frame or something like that. And so that there's no hard and fast line on that. And as you're saying, like, there is a difference between being a domestic player in the MLC and being eligible. To, to play for the USA, which is a different, that's, a—that's as far as I'm aware, quite a unique part of the league. Uh, so if you want to be a domestic player in um, England or wherever, you'd have to have been in the country for three years. In America, in the MLC, you just have to promise you will stay for three years. And so that was kind of, they, they were playing in what, what I called green card cricket, where they were attracting players from South Africa or Pakistan, who are at the back end of their domestic careers having been very successful crick- cricketers and saying, come over here, set up with your family and you can have a life beyond cricket here. And I think it's difficult because I think it's a really fair criticism to say, there was, hot. There was, I think it was like two US born players in the in the competition as a whole. Our uh, domestic players at Washington Freedom were uh, Andrews House and Obis Pinar, who both have fantastic first class records in South Africa. Mukhtar Ahmed, who's played for Pakistan. And then our kind of U.S. star was Saurabh Netravalka. And he has, he's, he's captain in the U.S. Uh, even him, he moved over when I think he was 18, 19 to go to university um, and grew up dreaming of playing for India. And how you, how fast do you need to fulfil that obligation of bringing through low like, genuine U.S. kind of born, all raised cricketers, because I think, it might have to happen immediately because they want to grow the competition, and they might not have a choice. And whether the standard of the competition suffers because of that, that could be a byproduct. Um, but I think, in terms of people growing long-term affections with the sport and the tournament, you have you have to have that, because then then it feels real. Then it feels like it's a real competition and a real US competition. If, for instance, they have these players coming in who are genuinely of the kind of stars and stripes from America and being willing to kind of, yeah, make a, a genuine sense of, I've been distracted by Daniel Norcross who's come, come into the room. He's ruining everything. <laughs> but he's, um, no, to give a, a genuine feel um, and kind of depth and texture to the competition, I think you are right. It will need that for it to be truly successful.
1: Yeah, no, I, I do think it is a double-edged sword because, you know, I one of the things that um, I've talked to people who have not grown up, you know, watching cricket like you and me and they've they've always said that if the competition is great, if the level of the game is great, fans will be interested. And we've seen some of that in, in the Major League Cricket as well. There have been interviews of fans watching the game for the first time and saying, this was really fun. And, you know, they see somebody yeah. play the scoop shot and say, wow, that was ridiculous. Um, and, you know, they get interested. But at the same time, you've got to balance it out so that if you're getting a lot of these players from outside of the U.S., you're not uh you know disencouraging any local talent by saying hey i'm not really gonna get pigs they're gonna get you know a south african who's way more experienced way more talented than me
2: i think that's the difference of if you're i think first first competition are you are you creating a spectator event or are you create are you growing a sport in the country basically that's the kind of the decision or what what line what side of the line do you want to fall there so to get an initial interest from kind of your bog standard American citizen, yeah, it needs to be a, a fantastic sporting event to watch if you want to grow a depth of emotion and feeling and attachment to the sport. And for players of the Dallas Youth Premier League to see a pathway and to ha- see it as a viable career path, then you have to be bringing through kind of local talent. And that's obviously, I think, I think that has to be important and a major part of the competition,
1: absolutely. Um, let's let's talk about the quality of players. I know you've already mentioned there were only a couple of U.S. born players, but even amongst those that you saw who were eligible for the U.S. or in, in the promising to be eligible, whatever that condition is, which is was quite unique and interesting. Um, what did you think from just a talent perspective? Uh, was there anyone who stood out in in your mind? Because we obviously had you know you already mentioned Saurabh, Netravalkar, but he's already a U.S. name. Um, uh, Trying to think of others, Chaitanya Bishnoi was one that had a couple of good games and and got my attention, but anyone else that, you know, sort of stood out to you?
2: I think from from a Washington Freedom perspective, uh, we had Akhilesh Bodegum, who didn't actually play, but was very, very close to playing. I think it was going to be a decision between kind of, realistically would would have been between him and Dane P as the kind of domestic off-spinner in the team. And he, I know he's trained. I think he was either born in India or born in the US, and has hopped about. But Houston's home for him. That's 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 where his kind of life is, and he's incredibly well thought of. He will be in the kind of national team sooner rather than later, and I imagine he will have an interesting decision. And, and this, these these are the debates. These are the problems you want domestic players to have in this competition, of saying, "Okay, do I want to stay at this team?" Uh, and I like the environment, but Dane Pete might play in front of me, or can I actually go to Texas Super Kings, or can I go to Seattle Orcs, and that would be really interesting for, uh, yeah, for him, and that's the kind of the, the debates and the problems that these players kind of it's a byproduct of a professional setup. I think I've the Mumbai New York spinner Noshi. I can't. That's his nickname. I can't remember what his full name is. But he played fantastically well against us on both occasions and was a phenomenal fielder as well. And um let me just get his full name up here. I could recognise him, I'll pick him out of the street for you. But Noshtush nosh Kenjig, I've butchered that. But he's um he played fantastically well against us and he's known as being like kind of one of the, the best fielders in the um in the domestic in the sorry, in the domestic, in the associate game. And he's played 40 games for America as well. Um, but he was fantastic. I think they, um, MI had an interesting setup in that they were the most connected, they had the most direct line to the US national team, and they ended up winning the competition. And so their um, opening batters, they were quite unique that they had two kind of US batters opening for them, rather than potentially having kind of some overseas talent at the top. Um, yeah, so I, I think, Akalesh who didn't play, I'd definitely say, and um, oh, Noshi, who uh, went very well against us. But that's class. Uh, that's classic. Um, kind of uh, bias of he played well against us, so that means he must be amazing. As opposed to, and I'm sure an analyst could analyse every every game. But if I was picking someone, I'd, I'd pick him because he went very well against our boys.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I, that's kind of why I picked and Abishnoy as well because I didn't watch all the games, but. I, the couple that I watched uh, when he was playing I was like hey this guy's great and he was batting you know 6 I think and smashing the ball yeah. and I was like wow that's uh, that's a tough role and he was doing it pretty well so
2: Oh yeah I'd add Mohammad Mosin to that he was a late signing for for Texas he was the wild card pick I believe and, and then he went fantastically well but again I think he was he was a domestic player but he's kind of um, born born and grew up in in Pakistan's played for Peshawar and first class cricket um over in Pakistan But again, in terms of a domestic player, probably doesn't fulfill your criteria you're looking for, but he was he was great as well.
1: Um, Yeah. And what's the 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 one thing that I find very interesting, at least for season one so far is we have six teams, three of which are really creating their brand. And that includes Washington Freedom. uh, you know, the unicorns, the orcas, all, all three are brand new franchises. And then you have, you know, uh, Texas, you have New York, as you mentioned, who are trying to build on a brand and a following already. Um, so I, I guess just from a opportunity perspective, I just feel the the, the network that New York has, the network that the super Kings have is probably to their advantage, um, and yet, you saw Seattle being a very solid team, you know, finishing top of the table. Um, so I, I think it's a it's an interesting uh, scenario. But from a feeder perspective, um, how do you, or uh, maybe we were in conversations about Washington Freedom and how they were trying to sort of catch up with, say, the New York and the Super Kings uh, to make sure you know you had the right feeder, you had the right setup. To to you know get the right talent, nurture them, and and you know keep them over a number of years.
2: Sure. So it was actually a very um, deliberate decision by so our own is a guy called Sanjay Goyal who's an American businessman, and he very proactively didn't want a um, to go down the IPL route. He wanted to go a different way, basically. So. Uh, Washington and San Francisco have Australian tie-ups. So Washington's partnership is with New South Wales and San Francisco is with Cricket Victoria. So all the backroom staff at Washington Freedom were New South Wales staff. So uh, Michael Klinger, who's the director of cricket at New South Wales, was our general manager. Greg Shippard, who was the head coach at New South Wales, was our head coach. The physios were the same. The operations managers were the same. Assistant coaches were the same. And that meant, from, from my perspective at least, at, at, at a kind of micro level just in the team, it was incredibly incredibly well run because these guys know what they're doing. Like they 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 run two T twenty teams. They run the Sixers and the Thunder over in the Big batch. Um, and it was that kind of they wanted to create something separate and not just kind of be a smaller part of a bigger fish. They wanted to be their own entity. So Washington Freedom. The plan is that they will play at George Mason University from twenty twenty five, and the idea is that will be the home ground, and then you really start being able to create an attachment with the kind of local community because it is very hard to you as people kind of say it as throwaway lines like connection to the local community matters and yeah we really want to be a team kind of involved and helping out mm. and feel a sense of connection with the local area but it, it does matter it does matter because otherwise you're just a faceless nameless entity that could be playing anywhere Um and I think it's interesting because the tournament was in Texas, Texas Super Kings obviously had a lot of fans, but also they are the Super Kings. They are they're one of the biggest cricketing brands in the world. And they are just uh, they're very yeah, they're one of the examples of what's probably gonna happen here is players on twenty-four sorry, twelve month franchise contracts. So if you look at um MI New York, Kieran Pollard got injured and they brought in Deval Brevis. Now brevis might not be a first pick, first choice when the IPL rolls around, but they, MI New York, want him to be their first choice in years to come. So the MLC gives them a development opportunity for their player that they have the best for realistically kind of have a contract with for 12 months of the year. Whether that, It's interesting because there's two different ways of looking at it. You can, one, make the argument that this is the way that uh, these franchises are giving themselves a club feel, that they're year round entities, that you can really get emotionally invested in a setup and you can support them. 12 months of the year and that's probably something that people say that's been missing If if, and people always compare it to probably well in the UK would you compare it to football and like Premier League and you support your club and you grow up with your club and it's where you're born etc and so if you are born in Mumbai and you're a Mumbai Indians fan now you have the chance to invest emotionally invest in that 12 years round the flip side of that would be well hang on like you're kind of supporting like the B team in different places, whether it's MI Cape Town or MI New York, and can there still be that depth of feeling? Can there still be that depth of emotion? And do you not want, if for instance you are from New York or you're from Cape Town, you want your own team, your own kind of special thing to hold on to? But that is, I I hate it when administrators administrators say this because I always think there's no like they are in the position to change things, but as as outsiders as third parties. That is just the direction of travel now. And it feels inevitable that these IPL teams will expand and will keep going. And so I wouldn't be I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if when the MLC gets two more teams and then two more teams again. Whether it's the Rajasthan Toronto Royals or something. Those are just, those are, that's a team in the city I've picked out of thin air. I don't know that at all. Um, but whether we were, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see more IPL involvement in the competitions that goes forward.
1: Sure. No, no, that that makes sense. It's it's definitely something that um, not just for men's cricket, for women's cricket also is is constantly happening. You know, franchises expanding. Um, so one of the other things that I've noticed in baseball, obviously spending time here, is you know the, the Cubs. I, I'm based out of Chicago, so the Cubs is a big team, and they have their minor league franchises across you know Iowa and other places, and that's a key feeder. Um, you know uh, method so obviously we talked about getting talent from IPL having a 12-month contract and all of that but um, has Washington Freedom or or other teams to your knowledge considered something like that because there is the minor league tournament that just started mm. but I don't necessarily see a close tie with any of the major teams
2: no and it is interesting I haven't actually heard any any suggestion of that I think those was the kind of it was it was funny that it, on the washington freedom wikipedia page it, someone kept on writing that we had an affiliation with one of the minor league teams and i can't remember which one it was and we were messaging one of my bosses like is this true are we are we partnered with this team i, I didn't know about this it is <laughs> not true at all um don't know why who that is who keeps writing it but it's i i think they had like a combine um ahead of the draft where they they had a kind of multi-day trial effectively And um, that was where they really picked the players. And aside from that, I don't I haven't seen or heard of anything um, suggesting that there's going to be a kind of greater minor league tie up, for instance, that um, Texas Super Kings would have a partnership with Houston Hurricanes. I haven't heard anything um, towards that. And it'll be be interesting to see whether that could be used as a way of... um, As we're developing the competition there's obviously word of mouth recommendations like if you do do very well in minor league cricket it's never going to harm your chances but it may be a case that um usman rafiq who plays for washington says this guy's really good and also his stats are really good so it might be a kind of more old-fashioned connecting route in that sense
1: right makes sense it's also a case of just maturing the league i guess once they start seeing, you know, obviously the first season has been tremendously successful, which is why there's all these talks of expanding it, getting a 34,000 capacity stadium in New York and all of that. But but I think the, the key there is as they start seeing success, they might, you know, spend more time investing in that. Um, and I, hopefully that works out and that works out not just for the franchises, sure. but for local players as well.
2: There was, and I'm going to be able to give it a frustratingly little amount of detail here, but I remember there was some chatter about whether there could be the potential for, um, you could almost put like a reserve on a player and you could almost like sign a young player with a view to the future um, going forward. But that's kind of the only suggestion I've heard in that respect. So, for instance, say uh, a a 17-year-old net bowler uh, rocks up to your training session and you guys, and, texas or whoever it is thinks they're really good there'd be a chance for them to sign them with a with an eye on the future but i think that was something that was being discussed as opposed to um uh, set in stone
1: gotcha i also do want to talk about just the crowds i mean i've you know i've talked about how yeah this was not great from that perspective and and number of issues number of um, uh, american talent being in the league all of that so we've talked about the negatives but it, t- going to the positives. The turnouts were really good. I honestly was not expecting the turnouts to be as good as they were, considering the weather, considering the location. Um, sure. But it seemed like most of the grounds were, you know, full, seventy to eighty percent. There were so many games which were sold out as well. Um, just thoughts on that, and and uh, looked like at least ticket promotions and and stadium experience was very solid. And I know. Benny, who's my co-host, uh, also went to a few games in in North Carolina and and said it was it was really fun. Um, so thoughts on that? And looks like they got that part pretty well, but uh, but there's probably scope of improving, say the afternoon games.
2: Yeah, so I, th- I think I pr- I pretty much agree across the board there. There was I so Dallas the the overall the kind of um, kind of players' take was that that Dallas was a proper cricket stadium. It was a good place to play. Morrisville was more of like a county outground. Where it was really cool. It was a really nice, quite intimate environment. So I think, from a fan perspective, I found kind of the atmosphere better at Morrisville than I did in in Dallas. Just because fans were a bit closer, it was smaller. They had the cool like concrete banks where like they could actually have a chance to get filled up. That they did, and this is this is not uh, um, isolated to the MLC at all. But it's my biggest pet peeve in all of sport when they say something sold out, and it's and it, the thing is, it is sold out. It's just everyone gives that. However, many millions of tickets to sponsors who then right. don't use them. So I would get frustrated at Morrisville, for instance. They say, "Oh, we're sold out," and I'd look to my left and I'd say, it "Doesn't look like it." But I can see quite a few seats there, but it was that's me nitpicking. I think, like you said, Dallas was so difficult. They need, I don't know how they'll do it, but that that if you, from the, from the TV end, basically from the end where the main stand was to the right, that stand was uncovered, and in the afternoon. You'd have been a, a a madman to sit out there in the sun. It would be forty two degrees, no protection from the sun, and that was always completely empty. So whether they can put a, put a stat, put a kind of roof on it, basically, or at least the cover, that'd be better because there was just no chance. You had no chance of being a fan going to the Dallas games and the time of year it is. It was about forty two degrees, but I know for the final, uh, the place was sold out. Um, we obviously we lost, so I'd gone home by then. But um, a friend of mine who was in the stadium, I messaged him and I was like, how was it? And he said, genuinely amazing. He said, it was absolutely fantastic, great atmosphere, great place to be. And that it was proper. And um, it'll be, again, it's something that you only kind of, there's you only expect it, that to improve. There's no reason why that should go in the, kind of to go in the wrong direction. The people who went this year enjoyed it, so they should be back next year. And hopefully another year of uh, kind of marketing and kind of, yeah, publicity. You'll end. will end up with even better crowds from next year.
1: Yep, certainly. Certainly hoping that way. And and I think the the other piece to it is just broadcasting as well. There were a lot of last minute decisions, which fans like myself were not in Texas or or North Carolina and, and couldn't travel. Yeah, had to had to just be aware. Oh, it's on Willow. Oh, it's on CBS and and that kind of stuff. I'm sure it'll get <laughs> sorted out in in upcoming seasons. And hopefully, you know, just the start of many big things for for cricket in, in the U.S. Um, the one other thing, which is a very American thing, but sports in the U.S., they tend to grow the best when they're introduced at a school level, at a college level. Um, there's obviously a lot of scholarships mm-hmm. and funding for athletes going to college, Um that, I, I think, is my big uh, reason that I've always thought that that is the way to g- grow a sport in the U.S. Um, it did not, at, at least from what I, you know, from a distance saw, it did not seem like there was any direct tie up to any school districts, any universities. But uh, I think that is that could be something that, you know, franchises consider. Maybe just, you know, Seattle Orcas or Washington Freedom. I know Washington has so many different uh, universities, uh, or even school districts that they could probably, you know, have kids come and watch the game, for example, if they host a home game and have that as a way of expanding the game to locals, you know, outside of the expat community. Um, has that been thought about or is that, I think, I know we're just in season one, so maybe I'm expecting a lot (laughs) just right, right at the start.
2: So I, I can't speak for the other teams, but I know I know that's exactly what's happening at, at Washington Freedom. They are, they've they've they partnered. The partnership is up and running with George Mason University, which is kind of in the DMV area, as I now know. So it's, I, think it's, I think it's in Virginia, kind of just just south of mm-hmm. of Washington DC. And the plan is that they'll have a kind of cricket and baseball specific um, facility that um, ground where Washington will play their games, and that will hopefully be used. And the the main reason. One of the main reasons I should say that George Mason were interested in that is that they're having a growing, they have a growing South Asian student population, and so for them they were kind of saying it was it was a a no brainer. They were saying, well, we have all we have all these students here who are interested in cricket and and want to play and watch it. Now there's a cricket team that's just been set up up the road, and they want to use our facilities. They want they want to come and be based up here. Perfect, absolutely. And I think in terms of like that kind of college sporting culture of it being a Saturday afternoon or a kind of evening in the midweek or whatever, and going down to a game with your mates with as, as kind of a, a university trip, like T20 is perfectly suited to that. that we, we see that on Saturday Oval right now. And that's basically what happens down here throughout the summer when Surrey are playing That it's, I, to be brutally honest, the Oval basically turns into a beer garden and people come after work and they have a drink with their mates and they, and they watch the sport, they watch the game. And that can exact absolutely happen, and hopefully will happen, in at uh, George Mason that there'll be a cricket specific facility. The athlete, like when as part of the tie up, I assume I haven't had this said to me explicitly, is that um, cricket will be part then be offered as a as a as a playing sport. I'd, I obviously not going to get to the level of basketball right. or whatever um, immediately, but hopefully on that front you'll be doing okay and um yeah Washington freedom at least will uh, be will fulfill that obligation
1: that's that's great to hear um no definitely steps in the right direction um you know a lot of positives for us cricket and and what's to come for all the players um last one before i let you go uh so one of the other things and i know you've you work with crickwiz from time to time so curious on how much there's data reliance already, because I think that's the one other piece about starting a league now, you know, compared to, let's say, when the IPL or the Big Bash started, there was less reliance on data in that era. There was less ball tracking. There was, you know, technology-wise also, there was just not as much support. Did you already start, did you already see a lot of that happening in the first season of the uh, major league, or do you think that's still something that teams need to, uh, you know, get more mature at?
2: Yeah, I, I think it would be again. So that was probably an advantage or the strength of Washington's type with North, New South Wales, as they were able. To, it was that the New South Wales analyst team able mm-hmm. to come over or analysts able to come over, and it's the same. Seeing international players isn't the, isn't a problem at all. Like they they play everywhere. There's no problem with access to information for those guys. Getting information for the um, domestic players was far more difficult, just because the, the sample size are far smaller, uh, the only footage of them is probably playing kind of minor league cricket realistically, and how do you then adapt that for, for the standard. But I, I know for a fact that like uh, Mike, who was our analyst, he felt he'd seen enough, had enough information to develop plans and develop specific plans for specific domestic players, and likewise with international players. So I think I think I, I think their data's really in an interesting spot at the moment. So I know I do some work for Creepers, um, but they are, they are the only company with access to Hawkeye information, and so that's in from that respect. Other teams are all kind of in a similar boat where they're kind of working out how to get the best information they can, and what information they can. But so they have slightly less information available to them. But on the flip side, I've also spoken to coaches and they'll say the, the, the one problem we don't have anymore is, is seeing players. They say it's absolutely no problem. If we want to, if we're Leicestershire in the T20 blast and we want to sign a lad uh, with three caps for Afghanistan, we will be able to get footage of him, no problem, basically. So I think from, um, I think that's one of the good things, although it was a new league, the, individual teams were actually quite mature in that in that respect and that they either had IPL tie-ups or US tie-ups and so from that respect they were able to lean on a kind of already up and running uh cricketing infrastructure um and I think that's I think that was quite an interesting um I want to say dichotomy but I'm not actually sure that's the right word but an interesting kind of contradiction between the teams were quite mature in their setups versus the league which was obviously it's a startup league and I know talking to a friend of mine who's who's got much more experience in that regard in terms of how these leagues get set up. He said like it was it was a kind of double edged sword where he was both incredibly impressed with how much they'd been able to do and how how they'd been able to set up the tournament given how small their team was. But on the flip side, that obviously just means things are, may fall through the cracks and kind of I you'd hope and hope for their sake and everyone's sake that that kind of major league cricket team can 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 grow. Uh, kind of the behind the scenes team and that would make everyone's kind of think yeah i think everyone 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 would be able to stop working a million hour days basically
1: that makes sense well cameron thank you so much for joining us and sharing your perspective about uh what you saw in the u.s we are very very hopeful that you know this is going to be uh something that grows quite a bit and i don't have to travel to the caribbean or you know, all England to, to watch cricket and we watch really good quality international stars playing in the US, um, hopefully in the next five to ten years.
2: Perfect. No, Mike, thank you very much for having me.
1: All right. Thanks, Cameron. Have a great rest of your day and we uh, hope, you hope you come back and talk a lot more about basketball and all things cricket.
2: Absolutely. Well, I'll, see, I'll see you in 2024. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to an episode of The Last Wicket. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts, Benny and Mike. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy.